seated. We come now to a short meditation on the two thieves crucified with Jesus. This is called, Who Gets Into Paradise? And I hope it's going to appear on the screen. On the PowerPoint, there it is. Religious leaders have always been very clear on this one. There are rules you have to keep and duties you have to perform. And to have rules, you have to have rulers, people in charge, who know what's what. And the people in charge have to be very sure that they know the rules inside out and that they are the right people to be in charge. And that they are the right people who decide the rewards and especially punishments that will keep the rest of the people in line. Who gets into paradise? The ones who have ticked the boxes. The ones who have kept the rules. The ones who have earned it and deserve it, of course. And then there is this story, the story that Luke tells about the crucifixion of Jesus with the religious leaders and the soldiers mocking Jesus because he's fallen foul of the rules. He's come a cropper. He's done for now. The mocking sign nailed above his head reads, this is the king of the Jews. He's not the only one on a cross that day. There are two criminals there as well, crucified with him. The first one hurls insults at Jesus. Aren't you meant to be the Messiah? What kind of king are you? Why don't you save yourself and us? The second criminal takes the first one to task. Aren't you afraid of God? We are all sentenced to this and we're getting what we deserve for what we did. You know we are. We have been condemned justly, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then the second criminal turns to Jesus. Remember me, Jesus, he beseeches, when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answers him, I promise that today you will be with me in paradise. What does this man see that the other one does not? And what does Jesus see in him? Who gets into paradise? The ones who have ticked the boxes? The ones who have been good and earned it and deserved it. In his dying as in his living, Jesus turns us and our values and systems upside down. So let's think about these two criminals for a few minutes who were crucified with Jesus. 
In Luke's account of the crucifixion, he sketches them clearly into the scene and he gives us their words. And he's making what seems to be a deliberate contrast. Criminal number one seems to be someone who would fit right in with the crowd because he joins in with their booing and hurling insults. He'd probably be one of them down there on the ground doing it if he'd had that choice. If you were God, you should be able to save us from this. Why aren't you doing something? His mindset seems to be fueled by the crowd, the ones who mock and jeer at Jesus. He joins in with them. He is fully part of their crowd think. And he chooses to join the chorus line of those who, with words and laughing and mocking and scorn, choose a way of thinking and a way of existence that is closed to God. We have met people like this. We meet them all the time, comfortable with living in a world where what you see is what you get, and what is visible with human eyes is all there is, and that's the end of it. It's a mindset that will admit no possibility of anything that might be bigger than our understanding and beyond our ability to understand, to cut down to size. It's a way of being in control, you see, of keeping ourselves as God because there could never be something or someone who is beyond us, bigger than us, doing things that might be bigger than us and our ability to comprehend. We must be in control at all times, even if that means dying an insistently empty death. Criminal number two contrasts with that. He is breaking ranks. He's going to distance himself from the mindset of the crowd. He won't be carried along by them. He is going to think for himself. And from his words, it seems that he has some vestiges of hope that maybe, just maybe, This man hanging next to him might stand for an alternative possibility. An alternative reality to the harshness and the cruelty of the world that he's leaving. It does seem as though there's part of this man who has been desperately wanting there to be more to life and this world than what meets the eye. In these moments of death, truth is revealed. This is no time for just flirting with attractive possibilities just to fill some time. His remaining breaths are numbered. It's not easy 
to express confidence in someone when you're in the midst of torture and agony, and so is he. But part of this man is finding that he's clinging on to a hope that the message Jesus talked about might be in some way true. That there is something bigger. That there is something more than his human eyes are showing him. And even whilst seeing Jesus reduced to the same criminal's torture and death as he is, he has seen and sensed something that he is daring to believe in. I wonder if it was Jesus' own confidence that he senses and picks up on. Sensing that Jesus is calm in the midst of the agony and the abuse that's being hurled at them all. Sensing something in Jesus that is unmoved in the face of that pain. Something that in fact is being made stronger. Maybe he's sensing that something completely unworldly is happening on one side of him. That even as this man's strength and life drain away and death approaches, somehow something on this side of him is getting stronger. I think Jesus knows he sees it and senses it. Jesus has always been able to sense mustard seed faith, authentic, no matter how tiny. And just as he has throughout the Gospels, Jesus accepts this sinner. And he confirms that his faith is enough. It seems fitting, actually, that having spent his ministry living and working alongside sinners and outcasts and seeking them out and drawing them in, it seems fitting that Jesus' final companions in his final moments of this earthly life are these two. Jesus didn't end his life surrounded by religious people chanting and praying for him. Although some of his followers are there. The women are there. But his companions at the gates of death are these two. And just as in Jesus' ministry, both of them have the same choice as to how to respond. Just as in Jesus' ministry, it's how they respond that matters. How they respond to him overrides whatever has gone before. Jesus is not interested in their crimes. What he's interested in is how they will respond to him. 
What is our response to him? Throughout Luke, again and again, we've seen Jesus welcoming in people he really shouldn't have welcomed in and teaching about outsiders becoming insiders. The only crucial deciding factor for him is that person's response to him. If you sense that you're facing a moment of response to him now. There are two choices before you. Which of these two will you be? You can choose to stay rooted in the world as you know it, in life as you know it, and dismiss any possibility that there could be anything more than your eyes can see. Jesus dying on a cross is just a defeated man who died for a dream. His death means nothing. There is freedom in this choice but it's freedom within the boundaries that you yourself have set. You can turn away and get on with your life without giving it another thought. Or you can choose to step into the possibility that maybe there's more than our eyes can see. And maybe not everything is necessarily how it seems. That maybe what happens on this cross is not what it looks like. Maybe Jesus dying on a cross is not just a defeated man. Maybe, just maybe, somehow, what looked like a defeat wasn't a defeat at all. It was victory. It was a victory of love and sacrifice, laying down everything in order to defeat the powers that bind us and hold us back. There is freedom in this choice too. But this freedom is different. This is being set free from fear and darkness and self-hate and a life that seems to have no meaning beyond possessions and other meaningless people. This is God's freedom which breaks chains, which gives us eyes to see that there is more, so much more, We've met numerous people in Luke's gospel who encountered Jesus. Some of them were very religious, some of them really weren't. Many of them were hated outsiders or outcast cripples and sick people. Some were just ordinary people doing their best in a challenging world. In every single case, What makes the difference is how they respond to Jesus. 
every single one of them gets a choice. They can turn around and walk away. Or they can sense that there is something here and want to find out more. None of us gets the choice of not choosing. Your choice is now. It's here now. You may not have another chance. For those of us who've been following Jesus for some time, we too have a choice. He offers us his whole self again and again. And again and again, we have to choose the extent that we're going to accept it. Accept what he offers to us. Is what you've received already enough for you? Or do you still want more of him? There is always more of him for you, but you have to choose it. There are riches for you, but you have to choose them. Not just once, but again and again. He stands at your door and knocks. Do you want him? What will you choose today? Let's just take a few moments to think and to pray. In the quietness, you may wish to pray. You may want to wait in quietness for what God may want to say to you. And then in a few moments, we'll stand and sing our final song. But let's just be quiet together. Let's sing together now of the power of this cross that changes 